Hey, welcome back to the back porch with Jay and Brandon, and this is Jay. And this is Brandon, and, and that's really typical. Well, it seems like we've had a lot of Brandons in the studio lately. You know what? Uh, I think y'all have had to sub a few out for me, and I've appreciated all the Brandons that have come forward. I'm not sure how we all ended up with the same name. Do you know how I ended up with my name? Uh, there's no telling. I was like Erica Kane's 15th husband on All My Children, oh. and that's the best thing my mother could come up with. Well, There's like a whole library full of artists or poets or writers that she could have come up with, but no, I'm just Erica Kane's 15th husband on episode four or something. Yeah, Yeah, probably. before she married the second person of that, episode That makes four. a lot of sense. So you're, so you're a general hospital baby. Uh, all my children. All my children. I'm yeah, okay. such a difference. We got canceled. <laughs> Maybe for a reason. Too many Brandons. That's probably what it is. That's probably what's going to happen to this show now. <laughs> Well, anyways, today we've got Jeremy Tubbs in the studio, and those who don't know Jeremy Tubbs, well, you should, but anyways, uh, Jeremy, you teach at uh, University of Memphis at Lambeth, that's that correct? correct, yeah. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you said you call yourself a musicologist? Yes, that's right. All right, and, and, that, does, and that means that you can, you can give lessons, you can give mixing lessons, uh, uh, what, what, else all, what else does that include? Until? It's funny because... Like a lot of people don't don't realize what a musicologist is, but it's, it's really more like an anthropologist. Okay, it's, right. Musicologists study the when, why, where, and how music okay. happens. So a lot of us have, if you look across the board, musicologists around the world, we all have disciplines, right? We all have special specialties. So I really went from day one into more kind of a modern approach to musicology. Where some people like will spend, you know, their whole career studying Mozart, for example. Right. And they'll spend years and years in Vienna, and they'll be there, you know, studying like the instrumentation and how life was like during the 1780s while Mozart was composing music in Vienna. But like for me, I, I chose a long time ago to really kind of stay modern to look at that. And of course, in the modern world, you know, recording's a big part of it. So, um, being in the studio and, and studying music and how to mix it and, and of course technology gets a gets gets a you know a, a big part of that um, so that's where the kind of that right. starts so it, as far as like the musicology part of it it's not technically recording all the time that's more music industry stuff right. that's more music um, technology you know right um, is there any postmodern uh, implications in musicology oh yeah absolutely uh, in fact we're, we're probably living in a new generation of of musicology we just we haven't named it i mean if i if i were to name it now i'd call it the i movement the i generation of music okay. um you know you have the medieval period the baroque period the renaissance period the classical period the romantic period you know it, it, we, we we have all these periods of music and, and we're definitely in a different period we just haven't named it yet i guess it, you know if we were to say what period of music are we in we'd be in the modern period but yet the modern period's been going on since the 1900s you know so uh, there's no there, we, we will have a name we, we might not be alive when they name it though you know it's going to be you know i i definitely call it since early 2000s we are living in an age of technology by far you know do you find that that's making music more subjective oh wow um 
we all, yeah, yes, <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. Um, people, I say digest music right now in so many different ways. We, we live in this, again, era that, you know, there's, there's at least 15 different ways that musicians can get paid nowadays where really, you know, 25 years ago, it was only two ways, selling records and playing concerts. And now we monetize so many different ways. YouTube, Spotify, mm-hmm. Pandora, iTunes, you know, you name it, you know, concerts, mm-hmm. you know, selling records, not so much as it used to be, you know? So, um, gosh, you know, and there's so many different styles and so many different musicians and so many different ways that we enjoy music. I mean, I have friends of mine who, who, who make a career, make a great career out of just writing jingles, you know, for mm-hmm. TV shows, you know, but yet, but yet again, you know, I also have friends who move to other countries because they sound authentic, Right. You know, they can move to the Philippines and do rock and roll and they get paid <laughs> $2,000 a gig. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so it's because they're, they, they sound authentic. So that's um, the sound that, that that culture is looking for. Yeah, exactly. So it, it is, it's, 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 you know, it's where you're at in life, I guess, determines what you're listening to as well. I mean, I find that the music I listened to as a kid, I still listen to, but yeah. Right. You know. <laughs> it's definitely some music out there I you know it's, it's kind of funny too because the uh, talking about listening to music that that you grew up on you know when i hear music that's you know 20 25 30 years old or whatever you know a certain songs can pop up and automatically in my head the first thing that, that comes to mind is you know the first time i heard this song i was in the car with so and so we were going here yeah. and we did this and it, it's amazing that you know, to me, music's not just entertainment. It's also it's something that's just ingrained in your head that it brings back a lot of great memories. I think know? about my wife every time I hear "Rat in a Cage," because the first <laughs> because the first time we were going to the mall together as teenagers, we're in the back seat of a buddy's car, and "Rat in a Cage" is on, and I have really fond memories of that song. You know. It set the tone for our entire marriage. I'm not trying to say a thing. I'm just telling you, there's music that takes you back, and you can smell what you could smell at that point in time, taste what you could taste. Yeah, you remember it all. Now, I I remember it like I was at a bonfire with my youth group, like in seventh grade, when I first heard "Sweet Child of Mine." It changed Mm -hmm. my life, you know. Yeah, that song and hearing that riff, hearing Slash. I mean, still to this day, I mean, I can smell the air. I can remember looking at the people sitting there across from me every time I hear that song, you know. Does musicology get into any of the study of how psychology affects how we consume music? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, I'd say out of all the disciplines, if you were going into music as a professional, more in an academic way, musicology has has the, the, the most, uh, um, you know, broad view of... of all the disciplines actually. So if you're looking at musicology as far as like a career, well, for example, musicology is the only one that offers a PhD. Mm-hmm. Everything else is a is a, a, a DMA, which is a doctorate of musical arts. So if you're gonna go study cello, you're gonna get a DMA. If you're gonna go mm-hmm. study uh, theory, you're gonna get a DMA. If you're gonna do a, if you're gonna be a con- conductor and get a doctorate in that, you're getting a DMA. Musicology is the only PhD. So we are the only kind of real, I say, 
across the board, not to diminish the DMA, right? But PhD is the one you know. It's it's more a, a philosophical type of thing. You know, we're 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 looking at a lot of different angles there, and it's a little bit more like, um, you know, like any other PhD. You, you do a lot more writing. You do a lot more reading. That kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So you go a lot deeper than the average Joe. Well, yeah, I guess so. I don't want to say that and get myself in trouble, but <laughs> <laughs> there might be some DMAs out there listening, going like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no DMAs. I mean, the 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 doctor in musical arts is hard enough to get, and and I respect right. that tremendously because they usually do like, you know, they do recitals or they do, uh, you know, they write symphonies and. That kind of thing, you know. Uh, I'm not. Oh right, I mean, that. and that's that's you know, a lot of talent in itself to be able to do that. Absolutely, that's, that's so, a lot of hard work goes into that. I, mean, I don't have to do that. I don't. I didn't have to write a symphony to get my doctorate. You know, I had to write right. a book instead. Yeah. You know, so that's basically it. You know. Okay. Well, tell us about the uh, the first song you want to play for us. Uh, this is a song actually I wrote a long time ago. I'm, I'm I'm working on a new album, and I haven't put out an album in a while. And um, I've been, you know, of course, working at the university working with the kids album, you know, the, the songs that the kids write and the students write and been doing that for the last, you know, five years, six years now where I'm right. you know, making sure their music gets out there. And then I, I add one or two songs to an album, uh, you know, uh, the last album that we put out, I, I added several more than, than usual because uh, um, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the students didn't have their songs ready. That was, pretty much, <laughs> it, was, it, was it was, that was pretty much it. But, um, that's a song I wrote a long time ago, and I recorded it uh, with Charlie Baker back in the in the, in the late '90s, actually. And um, um, I'm gonna re re I retooled it basically, and and, and I'm gonna put it on the new record as a, as a new track, and just you know a different time. You know, it's like somebody re-recording something they recorded 20 years ago. That's kind of what I'm doing, you know. So uh, redo it. So um, the song though comes from comes from a a, a place where. Um, I'm looking at uh, 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 a, phys- a, fi- a physical breakup between two people, you know, and the girl basically is pouring her heart out to the guy and saying, like, you know, you know I gave you everything, and then he's responding to that in a way, you know. <laughs> uh, but okay. then the third party is viewing that and kind of telling the story. So... Gotcha. Okay. It's 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 a full circle yeah. uh-huh. sort. So you like to hear it? Here it goes. Yeah, let's check it out. When he walked into this room she was leaving He could tell by the look on her face How that boy could be so blind and deceiving And everything in time might change Broken down, inside has left her stranded Without this one empty place to hide They both know it has come down to this moment While the boy 
turned away, she cried. She says, I love you, standing in the doorway. She said, I believe in the love we made. She said, I trust you when you say that you need me. But I can't be there when you push me away. All the hours she spent looking at their pictures And reading all the words that he said But the people in these pictures now are fading And the words aren't the same as they were then She said, I love you, standing in the doorway she said, I believe in the love we made She said, I trust you when you say that you need me I can't be there when you push me away And if she's strong enough to love him She'll be strong enough to walk away to walk away She said I love you Standing in the doorway She said I believe in The love we made She said I trust you When you say that you need me But I can't be there When you push me away I can't be there When you push me Hey, this is Brandon Newman from Newman & Webb Law Firm in Trenton, Tennessee. What makes a great musician is what makes a great lawyer, the ability to tell a story. And at Newman & Webb Law Firm, we know how to tell your story. We handle all kinds of litigated cases. That means cases that are handled in court. So if you know someone or if you have a case and you need to speak to an attorney, call Newman & Webb Law Firm in Trenton at 855-2972 or check us out on Facebook because we can tell your story. This is Ben. Yeah, Ben, I got an old truck that needs a transmission put in it. You guys do that? Yes, sir. We do everything but tires and alignments. Bring it on in. This is Ben. Hey, Ben, I need you to look at my AC, and I'm overdue for an oil change. Do you do all that? Absolutely. We do everything but tires and alignments. Well, my car is filthy. Do you guys detail? Yes, ma'am. We do that, too. For all your auto mechanic and detail needs, stop by today and see Ben, Jesse, and the Mechanics at 23 Broadview Drive in Jackson, Tennessee, across from Aloha Pools and Spies. Or give them a call, 731-300-7221. This is Ben. Hey, Ben, I'm needing new tires and an alignment on my car. You guys do that? Sure don't, but I know the guys that do. Bring it on by and we'll get it taken care of for you. Ben, Jesse, and the mechanics. I do good work at a fair price with a smile on my face. Call us today, 731-300-7221. Man, that's a beautiful song. I really love that song. And I hope this doesn't offend you and I hope that you find it funny. But the whole time you were singing it, 
the third person point of view reminded me of the fact that it really ought to be used as a voiceover song in The Walking Dead. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's some element of it that's just awesome, and you can see this third person walking through someone's house, and all these pictures faded, and uh, I really think you ought to contact AMC, because that would be spot on. They just probably couldn't recognize the brilliance. And part of the subjectivity that I was asking you about in music earlier, you know, people think of uh, music as being its standalone genre of popular culture, but it's weird how it mixes into all of the rest of popular culture. Uh, how does that, how do you see that academically? How does that work for you? And what special meaning does it have inside of our society whenever music? blends into television, blends into art, blends into all of these different things. That's a great that's a great question actually because I think a lot We're of trying to beat the hell out of the old what inspired you to write that song thing cuz we're figuring you right. broke up with somebody at some point. Yeah, I mean I, I, it, it, you know, it is a real life experiences all the time. I think I think the greatest artists are writing about things that happened to them. If not, then they're really good at looking at other people's lives and telling the story that other people can't tell, you know. Right. So, right, but that's a great question because we deal with that all the time. I think I think songwriters, um, uh, musicians um, deal with that all the time. I I I have many friends that are not songwriters, either great musicians, and yet they're supposed to interpret what songwriters want them to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're always sitting down, and they're they're great at adapting something, and they're right. able to tell the story without having having the 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 um or the ability or 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 the the first hand nature of writing a song um and that's what we're do well, that's what we're called on to do is to, is to make the song believable you know Simon Cowell for example his big thing on American Idol for what 10 years or 10 10 seasons i guess was he would always say i don't f- i don't feel that i don't sense that you believe what you're singing or right. believe what you're doing and and that's hard. And and as listeners, we get it. If something's not believable, we tune out. Exactly. We have to believe and and kind of think um, about you know exactly what that songwriter is trying to do. Nashville songwriters write a song and they demo the song and then they give it to a bunch of people and three or four or five or six or ten you know artists and years later somebody finally picks up that song. Right. And they try to make it their own. They try to make it, and, and good right. s- artists will. They'll make you feel it. Yes. Uh, whereas some artists don't get that. They just don't. They don't have that 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 passion behind the song. So, um, whether or not you like the song or not, a song a, a singer or an artist has to make you believe what they're singing. Right. You know. You know I've, I, I've always I, said I'm, that, and that's that's one reason why I say original music to me hit so much closer to home than just going and listening to your average cover band. Yeah. You know, nothing wrong with cover bands. They, you know, they're great at what they do. You know, people can go out, have a great time at a party, listening to the songs they know. But if you want to go out to to just listen to music, you you listen to original songs because the songwriter is telling you a story. Yeah. That song came from somewhere, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm sitting here looking at Conway Twitty (laughs) on the wall right there. I mean, no one can make you cry more than he did, you know, as right. far as like just the, making you believe in what he's right. singing, you know, and that's, that's the thing. It's like, you know, oh God, you know, great songwriters. And it's not just in the country world. I mean, you can take somebody like Otis Redding, for example, you know, 
in the R&B world. Or, you know, you take somebody like, I mean, you know, Elvis didn't write his songs, you know? Elvis never wrote But he made you believe (laughs) every word he he sang, you know? It was just right there in the pocket, you know? And um, Well, you you say that, and one thing that stands out, too, is, is somebody that didn't write a song but made you feel it was Johnny Cash with Hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You felt that song. He didn't write that song. Right, not uh, but he, Exactly, but he made you, he, he owned that song. And he I he think made you feel that song. The American Third album was the all-cover album. You know, and you know he he remade Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and man, Rusty Cage by Soundgarden. You yeah, know? <laughs> when when you're hearing the two different <laughs> versions, it's a completely different thing that you're getting. Now that's different than your basic cover band, but right. it's amazing when someone can take a song that's already been produced, made a living thing, and then make it into something completely new. Yeah, absolutely, and um. You know, if you if we were to look at like this, the different aspects. You know, you got you got the songwriting aspect of music. You got the performance aspect of music. You got the business side of music. You got the recording side of music. There's so many different areas. And and I tell students, uh, mom and dads come talk to me. I'm like the the football coach. You know, it's like <laughs> in the in the living room when we're saying like, you know, my son wants or my daughter wants to do music, but we're worried about them having a career. And I'm like. If they are diligent, if they if, if they are diligent students, and they are working hard for their craft, and they are spending time learning every aspect of music, mm-hmm. there are millions of jobs out there for them. Right. And if they're good at it, they won't have a problem. If they think music is easy and they just think, I'm just going to, you know, the rest of my life I'm just going to do music. And it's a great idea. It's novel in a way. You know, like, I think I'm going to do music. It's hard. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely to make a living doing this. You've got you to gotta really focus and be diligent and get out there and meet people and, and, and meet and greets all the time, social events. You've got to be, you got to kind of be nice I know a lot of people say, like, you know, musicians can be, you know, artsy. You know, that's always the term, you know. Hey, <laughs> that guy or that gal is, you know, it's a right. musician, she's artsy, or he's artsy, or whatever. But in the long run, the ones that really make it, if you ever meet them, you'll feel like, you'll realize how nice they are, usually. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, there, there, there's all the aspects of it, you know. So when mom and dad sit down, like, I really want, you know, you know, Ryan to do well in school, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I agree. Um, I don't know if you guys know Colton Parker or not. I do. Okay, Colton's one of, was one of my students, you okay, know, for for many years, and when he graduated, he was you know, amazing, just amazing bass player, amazing person. And l- last night we we performed, and he sat in and played, and then afterwards we sat on the uh, you know a bench and just sat and talked and caught up a little bit, you know. And he says, you know, everything you taught me, you know, was what took me to just another level. And, you know, it was really, it was affirmation of what, you know, we do, or I do, I guess, um, at the school where, you know, teaching him theory the right way, teaching him how to play the right way, teaching him how to record a little bit, teaching him how to be on stage and perform. Right. All those little things 
to make that transition from high school into the real world. I mean, all we are really is just a kind of a hard knocks music, you know, program to get you ready. Right. So you could go out of high school and say, I'm moving to Nashville and blah, I'm going to explode. And, all, and then you get there and you realize you don't know jack right. <laughs> about how the music industry works. You don't know how to really stand on stage and perform. So we're kind of like, like three to four year period where you're getting ready for that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the the program design. You know? Music can take you into a lot of other disciplines, too. I mean, once you learn how to tell a story and you learn the inner workings of uh, how communication works inside of music, then that can bleed over into tons of different careers, can it not? Yeah, and, and it's everybody's, everybody's different. You can't just say it's like, you know, you're going to be a CPA and you learn the same exact curriculum, you know? Right. Everybody has their own kind of... Strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. So, you know, there's people who are going to be more in tune with the performer, songwriter, emotional side. Mm-hmm. But then I have students that are real analytical and real mathematical. And they're, 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 they have plans and they have, like, to-do lists. And, you know, it's two different. I mean, you can go from both sides of the spectrum. You, you, you ever taken a personality test? You ever done one of those things like online? It's really fascinating because I love to do that sometimes, right. and and I'll and I'll do it for myself just to see if I stay the same sometimes. <laughs> you know, you know. But I, I I really do get into those things and, and look at like the different personalities. And by doing each time I, I learn something new, I'm able to kind of adapt that uh, with with a student, like knowing their personality. You know, well he's a crier, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. he's really emotional, you know, and he's going to be more spontaneous rather than organized and then right. this student's going to be more organized and less emotional so they're going to you know they're they're not going to show their emotions in their face right i'm going to have to you know really spend some time getting to know them a little bit more you know things like that so you know um it, it's like that in the music business um one of the greatest things i i teach this a lot actually is is if you're in a room with a bunch of musicians and you haven't met and you're 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 you know, you're you're breaking the ice. You know, you start talking about musical things, and you start to use the terminology. And if they're if they're also really good musicians, they'll start using the terminology with you. And all of a sudden, they realize that you know what you know a certain microphone does, or a certain you know DAW or, or digital audio workstation, right. that kind of thing. And you know, or you know what a diminished seventh chord is, or, you know, things like that. You start to break those things down, and all of a sudden, really good musicians, you know, who know a lot about that, and sometimes, you know, there's good musicians that don't know that, too. I don't want to, right, you know, right. pigeonhole that, but most of the time, you know, you'll realize that, you know, somebody's talking about the Nashville number system, and they start using the terminology, and... One, three, and five. Everybody else is talking about that, and yeah. they're like, oh, well, you know a lot about that, you know, and they right. start having this dialogue, and all of a sudden, the doors break down, you know, and, and, and everybody's comfortable. Right. And when you're comfortable with somebody, musically, sky's the limit, you know? You know, so. you, you bring up the Nashville Music, you know, number system, and <clears throat> I was taking a tour one day at the Grand Ole Opry backstage, and of course, the... Uh, the band leader is uh, Jimmy Caps of the Grand Ole Opry, and if you don't know who Jimmy Caps is, look him up because he's been on some amazing albums. And uh, he he went to say that I believe he said it was the Oak Ridge Boys. Some of the Oak Ridge Boys actually invented the Nashville number system, and uh, and it, it never made sense to me. They're you know you look at the Oak Ridge Boys; they're not you know they don't play instruments. They don't. 
So, you know, how they came up with that, I have no idea. But that's but he said they were a big part in, in creating the national number system. Yeah, I'm not sure if that, you know, I, I'm not sure about that, actually. But I, I do know that the, the logic behind the national numbers, number system is is, is very good. Oh, and, it is. Uh, it is. Um, if we were looking at, say, we go in the classical world just for a second, we use Roman numerals mm-hmm. for analysis, right? right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if somebody says, the, we still use the word the one chord, though, or the four chord, or the, right. you know, that right. kind of thing. So I can see how, you know, it's just it's just a different version of how we analyze classical music. We we instead of writing one as a Roman numeral, they just put one. <laughs> you right. know, so it correlates there. But I, I look back at like you know, especially in in my family, I, they learned shape notes first. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a different notation where you're looking mm-hmm. at actual shape to give a pitch. Mm-hmm. And so there's all different methods, and then. Probably the hardest class, absolutely by far, the hardest class I had in grad school was was musical notation, and that class alone studied the notation of 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 hundreds of years of how music developed. You know, we we, we see notes on page like piano music, that didn't just happen in an instant. It took hundreds and hundreds of years for that to finally come into being. People had different ways of writing music. You know, if you're in France, you wrote one way. If you're in England, you wrote one way. If you're in Germany, you wrote another way. Right. There were numbers and dots and, you know, all this different notation blocks and shapes and all this stuff that, that took hundreds of years. And, um, you know, we, we are still adapting, of course, musically. But, man, the human brain, you know, to, to write down what sound... They were trying to figure out how to how? write sound. Right. You know? Gosh, you know, it's that's, just... It's, you know, and at that time, it's like, how do you write down a smell? Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. That's exactly right. I mean, you're <laughs> writing down a sense. Right. You know? And it just took... It took many, 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 many people <laughs> to, over hundreds <laughs> of years to finally get to the point where we actually could write down sound. And we're at that point now where... Um, you know, it's been it's been used for now a long time, but we're into a different age. I mean, yeah. we, again, I talked about that earlier. We're we're, we're totally in a different age with technology. You know, how we do are. We, how, how do we get past you know that part? So, well, Jeremy, I think we got a a recorded song of yours that we're going to play. Tell us a little bit about it. Um, I I think the the best way to describe this is a newer song. Actually, I wrote it. It's called Oklahoma, um, and I wrote this song. Um, about a guy and a girl. A, a lot of times, I guess. I guess m- most of my music is is more you know love songs. Um, this guy lives in East Tennessee, and he lives in the mountains. And he has this girl, and he, the girl is broken up with him, or you know they're 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 done. And he's depressed and just wants to escape, wants to find an escape. So he he. He gets, you know, in his car and he just starts driving. He starts driving west and against that western expansion type of thing where he's, you know, head west and find different pastures. But he thinks of it as I got to get out of the mountains. Like I've been in my, I've been in East Tennessee all my life. I want to get somewhere totally different. So he heads to Oklahoma, and Oklahoma is just a totally different, you know, geographic landscape. And uh, so yeah, the song is about just escaping his life and getting away from 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 the hurt. Okay, well let's let's listen to it and check it out. 
down a time or two Beaten on broken roost But this old car can't go too fast No matter how hard I try to race the past There's only one thing left to do Tickets are only $10 for a whole night of music. It's 
stay up to date with this event and anything going on at Billy Bob's, check them out at facebook.com slash Resort one We expect to see each and every one of you there at Billy Bob's Music Festival on October 17th. Billy Bob's is located on 752 Bob's Landing Road in Bass Springs, Tennessee. I'll be seeing y'all there on the night of October 17th at Billy Bob's Music all right, and we're back, and that was Oklahoma by Dr. Jeremy Tubbs. And I love the spatial reasoning of that song. It's really cool to hear uh, and to understand. And there is something about being in different places. One of my favorite writers, Walker Percy, was writing about the difference between New Orleans and Mobile, Alabama, and there's actually a lot of similarities. They both have Mardi Gras-type situations going on in both places. But he said that, Mobile, Alabama was like being in New Orleans with a plastic bag over your head. (laughs) And having lived there and went to college there, I can tell you being in Mobile is absolutely like being uh, in New Orleans with a plastic bag over your head. (laughs) I got to go away to the mountains a few weeks ago, and I started contemplating because I had no cell signal. And I started to notice after a few hours of no cell signal, my brain went to really weird places. And I was listening... (laughs) To Poncho and Lefty as we're going through the mountains. Yes. Okay, now here's my question. Here's my question for the day. Ambrose Bierce that wrote The Devil's Dictionary, uh, who defined a sweater as a garment of clothing that a mother put on a child whenever she was cold. All right, it's just this book of definitions that are completely sarcastic. Apparently, after he became a well-known writer, then he goes to Mexico and rides with Pancho Villa. So my question is, is Lefty actually Ambrose Bierce? <laughs> and I spend about an hour riding through the mountains trying to legitimize to myself how pa- Ambrose Bierce left America, rode with Pancho Villa, and then sold him out and then headed back across the border to Ohio because that makes complete sense. It's conspiracies, man. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what happens when you get alone with your own thoughts. And the shot came from the grassy knoll, too. Yeah. That, that's right. That's right. So that's my conspiracy theorist uh, moment of the day. I believe that Lefty was yes. actually Ambrose Beers. I love yeah, that, that, it. I love it. It makes a little sense. I mean, you, you should have your own conspiracy show. Well, I don't have that many conspiracies is my problem. That's my only one. All you so have we to just do... did it. That was my that was my conspiracy theory show. But you, you look at folks like Alex Jones, you know, a lot of he can make you believe anything. Mm-hmm. All, all you have to do is just sit in a padded room, talk to yourself enough until you believe something, and then go on and tell everybody how real it is. I mean, I, I don't watch that much Fox News. <laughs> oh, he's not on Fox. Yeah, he, he's way above Fox <laughs> Head. You yeah, could be like Uncle Si and have your sippy cup and just sit in the corner and say, hey, hey, let me tell you something. <laughs> yeah, now Alex may tell you, you know, how the, not only were there's aliens at, at Area 51, right. but how they got there, what they were drinking, and, yeah. and how they sounded. Yeah. yeah. He's got pictures somewhere. And he's going to have pictures. <laughs> yeah. 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 And he's, he's got- also going to have a video of the government yeah. running him out of Area yeah. 51. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a little different character for sure. Johnny, you know, tell us a, a little bit about you know songwriting. We, we've we've touched on songwriting. What what is, I guess what what is your routine? You know, when you it, go about this, writing is a great a song? thing. I teach songwriting class. Actually, the students are required to take this. And one, the first thing I kind of start off in the class talking about is like, I had a Nashville songwriter who had written hit after hit after hit. 
and uh, that I knew and, and got to be pretty good friends with and emailed with, corresponded with. And he always said, he goes, how, how do you teach songwriting? <laughs> it was his thing. He's like, it just doesn't make sense that you can teach how to write a song. Um, I think the biggest thing about songwriting is that you have to realize that it has to, it really does have to come from a real place, you know, and you have to be musical. Right. You have to be, you have to be able to kind of have a tune, you know, it has to, it has to be singable. It has to have a hook. It has to have great lyrics. It has to have something that connects to people. Um, um, but overall, you know, you, you, you you can have a great song that doesn't have a hook in it. I mean this. I mean we've seen that we've seen that pattern la- you know over and over and over again. I mean take for example you know say somebody like Metallica, you know yeah you know and and you look at the early stuff. It was built on you know it was fast. It was thrash. It was you know it had heavy guitars. It had heavy drums. It had all these elements to it that are you know miraculous. You know so. Um, um, it's not like they were writing hit songs, but yet they're making millions a year off their royalty, you know, for, for right. selling those songs. So, right. you know, it, it, to have one way to do a song is ridiculous. There are methods to say, you know, yeah, if you're going to be a Nashville songwriter, you're going to sell a certain song. But if you're going to be a rock guy or you're going to be a classical guy or, you know, that kind of thing. So songwriting is, is, is very just individualized. You've got to just... You got to be feel comfortable and be be comfortable in your own skin to write a song. And I mean, I'd say, you know, overall, um, there's no one way to be a songwriter. I mean, it's multiple right, ways. Right, it's not. And having you know all the various people we've had on the show so far, I mean, there's you know you kind of get an angle from very many different views, you know, mm-hmm. or many views from different angles of of where these songs come from. We've talked to some folks that can come up with a song in 10 minutes, have it on paper, music, everything ready within 30 minutes, you know, and, and you have some folks that it may take two, you know, take two years to get a song out. You know, so I think it kind of just, it depends on the person, where they're coming from. Is it a life story or is it just something that's come off the top of their head or, yeah. you know, and, and everybody I talked to said, you know, do you just grab a, a piece of paper and a guitar and just sit down. You know, I think I'm going to write a song today. You know, the majority of them say no. Um, when we talked to, to Blair, you know, she said a lot of times, you know, folks will, will come into the store that she works at and they'll make just random comments. Yeah, small talk. Small talk, yeah. things like that. And she's like, man, that'd be a great yeah, song. Yeah, exactly. And it's all about capturing that too, down. right? Yeah, getting it down there. You know, you know. that's the reason, so, like, the, especially with, like, my phone, I'll, I'll pop in, you know, a voice memo I get an idea in the car, you know, and I'm yeah. like, "Hey, do this later," you yeah. know, <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. I was sitting outside on the on the back on on my back porch um, <laughs> the other night, and I was looking at the moon, and it was it was a beautiful night. It was like two nights ago, I guess it was still it was almost full. It wasn't quite full. Last uh-huh. night was the blue moon, but um, and I sat there and I had this great lick in my head, and I just kind of sat there and just turned my phone on and and recorded it, just sitting on the back porch, just going like, you know. You know, just so you don't lose it. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to lose it. So, because I would forget it. You know, I'd be like the next day, it's like, dang it, why yeah. didn't I? Why didn't I do that? But I don't know if you're like me. You can you can come up with something, and, and ten minutes later, it's gone. Absolutely. I mean, exactly. words. I mean, like, what was that lyric? Again, yeah. I mean, you know? just absolutely gone, like it never happened. I, I, I had to write things down. Really yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, you're not Brandon anymore. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we've got Kevin Baird in with us right now sitting in. Uh, Kevin is the uh, owner-operator of Hub City Radio out of Jackson. Um, Hub City does a lot of great things for our local musicians. They, uh, they give them a lot of airplay, uh, do a lot of promoting for them and such. And Yay. so. But we all work hand in hand. I mean, you know, we we air the uh, all of the all the episodes of uh, the back porch there. Of course, left of Nashville, Jimmy Taylor's got a show, uh, the Blue Suede Blues show. Right. Uh, new shows coming up this fall. Matter of fact, we've got three new shows, and I'm I'm just tickled to death. And uh, and uh, Jackson's been great to me. It uh, of course, you know, I'm from this area here, and I mean, it's 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 been awesome. And uh, the music in this area is just it's it's unreal. And it gives me a chance to, you know, explore my passion, and, and that is radio. So it is, and so far, I think it's been doing very well. Yeah, it's it's done real well. We're up uh, over seven thousand listeners right now, and of course, uh, uh, we're expecting, you know, better numbers, you know, come this fall. Uh, you know, as everybody gets done with vacation and and you know, start settling down for some some back porch uh, bonfire time, you know. And, uh, <laughs> That's that's where that's where it's gonna be at. And of right. course, you know, uh, you know, people like Dr. Tubbs here. You know, he he makes things great in Jackson. And I mean, you know, if it wasn't for the musicians and the people that get behind it, and that's a plug for everybody to get behind and support your local music. That's exactly right. And you know, we've got a lot of talent in this area. We talk about it all the time. You know, I just can't stress it enough how how great, you know, how great our music is here in Jackson. And, uh, you know, I think we've talked before, Jeremy, that when, when you've been on tour or been out of town and, and other places, you've gone to other venues and, and listened to their local music. And, you know, and then you come back to Jackson and hear what we offer and, and how, how much difference it is. Yeah, it, it, tremendous difference, actually. I mean, being, you know, I, I'll never forget, I was in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I was playing a gig and we rocked out. We, we just had a great show. And people were just so, like, un... Well, they were just mesmerized about how good we were. And I'm not tooting the horn. I'm just telling you the truth. Right. And then staying there a couple of days and playing another show. But in between, we went to... Uh, the guys went... We went to another, you know, couple of places and watched some local music, you know, musicians and bands play. And it was... We, did, we, we were shaking our head like, whoa. <laughs> like, this is interesting, but yet... Man, the quality is just not there. You know, right. it didn't have that soul. There was something soulful. Didn't have that heart, I guess. Didn't have, didn't have just the feel. You know, it just wasn't there. It just seemed regurgitated. You know, it just seemed yeah. like, it just seemed like it was. They were trying to do exactly what somebody else had done before, but it wasn't going to happen. You know. Well, you know, talking about local music scene, and you know, as I said when we were talking before, you brought this up. I'm gonna let you tell this story before you play your next song, but. If I'm not mistaken, you were playing out at a, a local venue named Jimmy D's, and oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and just out of the blue, yeah. there was somebody uh, played your guitar while yeah. you were taking a set break, and uh, and that ended up to turn out to be somebody pretty big. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and let you talk a little bit about that. I sure. thought that was a very interesting story. That, that, that is a cool story. Um, so yeah, it was back in the early 2000s. I was living in Memphis and I still had connections with Jackson, of course, and I'd come back and play shows about twice a year. But uh, 2001 was the year that I really went on tour and started touring the world, actually, touring, touring all over the place. And, 
and uh, it, that it was it was that year actually it was late that year, and I had just gotten back from from Europe, um, and uh, Jimmy Dees had called and said, "Hey, would you want to come come back to Jackson play a show?" And um, I said, "Sure, yeah." So it was over Christmas break or so of two thousand one, I believe. It was around that time period. And I played, and all of a sudden this guy comes up at, during a set break and says, hey, do you mind if I play your guitar and, and, and do a couple songs during your set break? I was like, no, go ahead, great, that's awesome, you know? Yeah. You know? So, you know, I sat there and <laughs> talking to people and not really paying much attention, and I, I could tell, you know, the guy was good. But the thing I remembered the most was that he had an Australian accent, okay? And it was, I was like, you know, that's different. So later yeah. on, later on, you know, years later, I had a buddy of mine saying to tell me, that um, he was at that show that night, and he, he, he says, "Man, he goes, do you remember the guy who played during the set?" And I was like, "No, not really. Yeah, kind of, maybe, you know, that kind of thing." Yeah. And he's like, "Yeah, well, he was Australian." I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I do remember that." And he goes, "It was Keith Urban." So I was like, "What?" Wow. <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, it was Keith Urban." Okay, well, here's the kicker of it all. So I called the one of the guys that was in that group that that came and played. He was he was in the group that I toured with. Uh-huh. This was just an just a one a, what we call one offer. It was basically we just came to Jackson played a show of a, a bunch of songs that we all knew, you know, that kind of right. thing. It was just a fun party type of thing. It wasn't our show that we toured with and it wasn't the full band that came with me. It was a bunch of just local guys that we knew we put together like, "Hey, we're going to play a show. Let's go have fun." One of the guys in the band though um, was the lead singer of the group that I was playing touring with, and he was playing bass. <laughs> it was just kind of like one of those things, you know. Yeah. So I called him like immediately after the guy told me, and I said, "Dude, I was like, do you realize that you know this is what he said?" Now I don't know if it's true or not, but this is what this guy told me, right? All right. So I'm, of course, skeptical of it. You know, like <laughs> I don't know if it was Keith Urban yeah. or not. You know. And so I tell him now he's living or in Orlando at that point as a as a as a musician down there and he's doing you know he's doing well and he goes that's cool man so a couple well about a week later he calls me back he goes you won't believe what I just heard I was like what he goes seriously I did not have this conversation with anybody except you and me about this Keith Urban thing there was a guy who is a Nashville songwriter. He, he's writing songs in Nashville. My, my buddy was writing songs in Nashville too. Right. And he says, he told me this story about Keith Urban. He's like, Keith Urban used to tour and when he was on tour, he would always walk into different bars and different clubs and ask to play during their set breaks just to get better. <laughs> and I was like, no. He's like, yeah. Like, didn't even tell him our story. He just said that. So that, that pretty much confirmed Confirmed it. it. And at the time, I did research, and I, re- I realized that Keith Urban was on the road in that time period. He wasn't famous yet. He wasn't, right. and he was on the road, touring the southeast. He had moved to America, and of course, was touring the southeast all over the place with his with his band. But then they would be in between places, and he would he would definitely you know be yeah check know, out the venues, check and, out the local venues, and ask and to get play some of his stuff out just there. to experience yeah. it. Right. So he was just getting better. He was he was basically, you know, just. Polishing his skills. Yeah, exactly. Just, just basically, somebody like he, you know, if you look at it, he's kind of like the minor league getting his at bats before yeah, he went to yeah, the majors, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a yeah, great story, I that was you know. A very interesting story because <laughs> you know you, you never know what you're going to see or hear in Jackson. You know, we, we hear many stories of of folks that's come in or just popped up here and there, and I mean, you just never know. I mean, I've 
You know, I met Willie Nelson. I got to hang out with him for an hour in Jackson. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, you just never know what what you'll find around here. Carl but, Perkins was was of course a fixture in Jackson for many, right. many years, and Carl used to ride around this like red Mercedes, and he'd have his hat on, <laughs> and people would see him. But I, I remember I was eight years old, and I was taking guitar lessons at a place called Cecil's Bandstand from Tom Price, who was mm-hmm. basically my musical mentor, and and Tom um, was just an amazing man and and just a uh, musical and. I walked into my guitar one day, and I of course had this over, you know, I had a full, I had a full size guitar, and I was eight, you know, so I walked around, you know, struggling to, you know, keep my balance with this thing, you know, we didn't have gig bags back then, you know, so I was carrying this guitar in, and you know, Carl Perkins was in inside Cecil's bandstand, just kind of hanging out. He used to do that a lot, just sit around and yeah, talk and yeah. pick, and and uh, Carl tapped me on the sh- on the head. He basically tapped me on the f- head, and he kind of looked at me. He goes, "Are you a picker or a grinner?" And I just looked at him with the biggest smile, not knowing who he was. Just like, hey. you know? <laughs> and he says, he goes, I guess the picking will come later. <laughs> and I'll never forget that, man. It was just like, and my dad said, like, you know who that was? He's the guy who wrote Blue Suede Shoes. And, and, and you know, like years later, you know, 20 years later, I'm, I'm playing it with him, you know? Yeah. So it's just like. You know, it was one of those moments where I was Did like... Did you ever go back to him and, and tell him that story? Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. In fact, he used to come and sit and tell... You know, he used to tell all these stories and stuff. And back when... In, I, in my early 20s, you know, again, 20 years ago now, um, <laughs> you know, he would come into the music store and we'd sit around and pick guitar. You know, we'd mm-hmm. just sit there and just jam. And you know, I learned a lot of licks from him and just, you know, just passing that tradition along a little bit. And, you know, I wasn't... I guess I wasn't, you know... I was still young. I was a, you know, I was a kid. Yeah. You know, you know, but you know, the stories I heard from Tom and Charlie Baker, for example, and and, and those guys who really, you know, played with them, you know, Wes Hensley and the, you know, yeah. things like that. So, um, you know, those 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 guys who really, you know, played guitar or played drums or played, you know, bass for him, you know, told me the stories and as as well. And I got to be pretty close to his family and. Uh, a lot of people don't realize, but my master's thesis is on Carl Perkins. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> when I got my master's degree, it was on Carl Perkins. I came back and did a whole study, you know, here in Jackson, and mm-hmm. got really f- friends with his wife. He'd already passed away at that point, mm-hmm. but I went to the house and documented a bunch of stuff. Documented his guitars. Documented, you know, things that needed to be documented before they got and lost. I guarantee you, it was just as much fun as it was, you know, a learning experience for you. Absolutely, you know, and in fact, I kind of got got known there for a while as the Carl Perkins scholar. You know, as you know, people, <laughs> somebody who really knew a lot about yeah. his life, and and I did, I did know a lot about his life, and you know. Knew his, you know, knew his wife before she died, Valden, and and then you know, you know his children, and and I wasn't as close with Stan as I as I was with Debbie. You know, mm-hmm. Debbie was definitely the one who helped me the most, and and, and got me. You know, and I, I appreciate both of them actually, Stan and Debbie, for opening up their homes, opening up their. Stan took me. You know, there was one day that Stan just drove me around Jackson, showing me all the spots. You know that, you know, here's where Dad grew up, and here's you know, you right. know, you know, this is where he lived, and things like that. You know. Um, and it, but Debbie was was always very supportive, giving me documents, giving me pictures, you know, things that were very personal, you know, in a way. And um, um, they're great people. I mean, the Perkins family has always been great people, and and, and their grandkids are, are, you know, still in the music, you know, field. So. And to watch them play live was just, I mean, it was such a treat. And and you know, there's very few videos that you can find of him actually playing. 
But I mean, you know, when it was, you know, when you could find them, I mean, it was just, it was just a good time jam, is what it was. It's just, you know, that kind of finger style, <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff that he right. did, you know, that was, is that that influenced me tremendously. You know, that kind of thing, you know, that rockabilly kind of feel, yeah. you know. And, and, you know, he would bust in the, You know, that kind of bluesy lick stuff that he would do. Um, and I think about the times, like, you know, even if you do, like, a... That, that Johnny Cash kind of feel, right. you know. They all were learning that kind of, that bluesy kind of blend between gospel country or hillbilly music right and blues, and blues which was a great transition for the day absolutely i mean it was just it was phenomenal what they were trying to do well you had r&b which really became rock and roll in a way and that rockabilly flavor really had more of a tinge of the country gospel type of stuff you know um and um we were li- we're, we're living right now this area west tennessee is the birth of that music, you know? Mm-hmm. Nashville had the hillbilly stuff going on. Jimmy Rogers, Carter family, all that stuff was going right. on. You know, the the blues in the Mississippi, the Delta, the country blues, not the electric blues, because right. electric blues, you know, it's a it's a different beast. But country blues, you know, the 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 Robert Johnson stuff and the muddy waters, yeah, muddy water. Well, early muddy waters, yeah. Later muddy waters is definitely right. Chicago, but right. um, early muddy. Like right. the the lab the Congress recordings and Library yeah. of Congress recordings. That's 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 the early muddy Delta stuff. Uh, Charlie Patton, mm-hmm. Memphis Minnie, those kind of like early kind of, you know, Delta blues. You t- you blend that with this kind of sense of gospel, you know, both, you know, black and white because there is a difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a difference between black gospel and white gospel. Right. And you blend all that together, you kind of get it. You know, you kind right. of realize that this area is the is the the birth of that music, and uh, you know, Johnny Cash grew up in Arkansas, but if you know, if you look at it demographically, you know, it's the same area, you know, West Tennessee and, and rural Arkansas. I mean, it's it's the same same you know? thing. So um, it, it it's really interesting, you know, listening to you know Carl, you know. Basically, we'd listen to the Grand Ole Opry with his dad, you know, and hear that hillbilly country music. But then he was out in the in the field working as a as, as a cotton picker or mm-hmm. soybeans or whatever, and he's out there with those with those sharecroppers who mm-hmm. are African American playing blues music. And so, you know, they're teaching him how to play the blues, and he's inside of the house listening to the hillbilly music, and then he's at church on Sunday morning. Bam. There you go, you know. What a bullion. <laughs> oh, exactly. And he just took all that and kind of just threw it in a big pot and made his own chili, you know. Yeah. His own musical thing. But his music that uh, he created and he brought to this area, it's still here today. It's it's so many people from this area that I listen to that, uh, you know, that is on the back porch and, of course, Hub City Radio. You can hear it. And, and the music, and I mean, it, well, it, it may not be just strong like it was with Carl, but you can hear the background of what those guys started. Well, I think, okay, musicology is this, by the way. Musicology is, is again, the study of the when, what, when, how, right. all that stuff. It's like perfect storms in musical history that happen, you know? Seattle, 
was a perfect right. storm, right? Mm-hmm. The alternative lifestyle. It wasn't that it was invented there, though. You know, it's that it took all these different styles and, right. and, and influences. and Before then, they combined. Exactly. It's the combination mm-hmm. of things, and it changes. You know, um, it's not, you know, people always think about punk music being, you know, like the Sex Pistols. That's always the first thing that people think of, you know, Johnny Rotten, you know, and, and right. Sid Vicious and all that stuff. But, you know, it wasn't just there. It was in a garage in New Jersey mm-hmm. where, you know, where, where you know, and it where was it began. Is where those kids called the Ramones were listening to the Beach Boys. And they, right. you know, they were listening to Beach Boys. If you listen to the Ramones, it's Beach Boys music. It's just sped up <laughs> and it's a little bit grittier, you know. And then it took somebody seeing them at CBGB's and kind of real, Malcolm McLaren actually was the guy and going back to London and opening up a sex shop basically <laughs> and all these kids were hanging out there and he was like you know this is a style of music in America and they put it on the jukebox in that in that you know that right. store and they started listening to it and all these kids in London who were economically depraved they were living in bomb or old shell of buildings that were bombed yeah. out. They hadn't even fixed those buildings. They were vagrants living in buildings, kids that didn't have any money. And they started a lifestyle where they listened to this punk music coming out of, or alternative music coming out of New York. And they made it their own. You know, so w- w- historically we can see all this. And it's not just punk. It's R&B. It's blues. It's ragtime. It's all these styles of music that kind of came from something else and, 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 and merged together. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can go back to the Fisk University singers in the 1800s, you know, and talking about here's a, here's here's a group of singers that um, the conductor or the band leader or the, the the orchestrator of this were trying was trying to do European Western white art songs and it just didn't work. But when he said, "Hey, add in your African American flavor to it," there it is. Boom, you know, right. It became something totally different, and people bought into it, and they loved it. You know, it was just, and it's like that in the history. I think the history of music. Every, 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 every age has, you know, certain things. You know, that make it stand out. That right gives birth to something new. And you know, somebody asked me this uh, not too long ago. It's like, what age do you think we're in? And of course, I said, you know, well, technology. <laughs> you know, it's the I generation. The I age. But what's the most what's the most important part of it? Like who who's doing it the most? I was like, man, I mean, I can't put my pulse on one thing at all. I mean, can you guys put no. your pulse on one thing? No, it's it's just it's such a broad range right now. If at all, we're living in the age of the producer, I guess. And I would say yeah. so because I mean, you know, uh, you know, technology is just taking us by leaps and bounds. I mean, you know what uh, what you used to do in a studio. You can pretty much do in your home now, and and then that just opens up the doors to creativity for a lot of people because they're not pressured, and and you know they, <laughs> right? You know they they have the chance to relax and really be themselves, and then a lot you know a lot of it just turns out well, just, and you and now you've got so much, you've got so much now that you really can't even classify as a genre anymore, because I mean it's great music, but when you've got you know, uh, you've, you know, Dom Fleming's that we had earlier yeah. on the show. I mean, he, he's amazing at what he does. He's got some great music, but you know, do you call that folk? <laughs> do you call it blues? You know, there's so many different things you can call it. You've got 
Old Crow Medicine Show. Mm -hmm. You've got the Avit Brothers. You've mm -hmm. got Trampled by Turtles, and mm -hmm. you know a lot of folks like yeah. this. You know, they're not rock, they're not country, and they're not folk either. I mean, they're just kind of a mixture of of so many different things that makes them who they are. Well, you have to remember that, that probably somebody said that about rock and roll at first, right? You know, I'm sure. So it's oh, it's, yeah. just, it's yeah. just that that kind of that kind of you know thinking is is is, is you know. It's it's been going on for a long time, so yeah, um, and, I, and I think it's a great thing. I yeah, mean, even we, you we, you look at you know Sturgill Simpson. I mean, absolutely. I mean, he's he's amazing. He's wonderful. But what are you calling? Yeah, well, you know? Jason Isbell, for example, who, who right. I, I personally love a lot. You know, I I, I kind of hear him as country, but I also hear him as rock, and also hear and then him you can hear a little you know folk, folk or a little Bob yeah, Dylan in right, with him, right. or, you know, and and it's it's great. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's it's some of the best music. Today, I think. Well, I, I, I think that what we're going to get is, is we're going to get to the point where we're going to label things to the point where it can't be labeled anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know. What gets me now is, you know, what, what we what we call is classic country, you know, Merle Haggard, Waylon Jennings, and, and folks like that, you know, now they're, they're not even classified as country anymore. You know, that's more, oh, that's Americana. You're right. You know. <laughs> You know, country. You're talking about Blake Shelton, Luke Bryan, right? Right. You know, and, and all this stuff. Well, that, that's opens that's up a country. Whole new it argument is. there. So. Well, I, oh, I, exactly. I go ahead and tell you, there are people writing books about that right now, about trying to classify it. There, there are musicians or musicologists right now working on what exactly is this that. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the argument goes usually goes to the point like to you know, uh, um, I'll give you an example. I, to, to clarify it, but we can't read into something, I mean, totally. Like, uh, there was a composer named Shostakovich who was, you know, he was considered, you know, a com Russian communist mm -hmm. you know, composer, but yet he defied the communist belief. Oh, it's, it's really, first of all, I don't, uh, I don't know because they still argue about it, but, um, <laughs> That's that's the thing. It's like we can't really get into the mind of an artist, you know, and right. really figure out what what they're thinking and what they're doing. And sometimes, you know, we lose the artist before we ever know. Sometimes exactly. There's people just speculating what they were doing. That's right. You know, Jim Morrison, or you know, um, um, you know, Kurt Cobain, Kurt or somebody Cobain. like that. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 don't know. We can kind of dive in and see from the outside, but we don't know exactly what they're what they're thinking and doing when they're doing it. I will say this though, for me personally. You know, um, I guess I've always kind of considered this is a blessing and a curse. I've always considered myself a little bit different in my approach because I'm highly organized. And I'm highly kind of mathematical in a lot of things that I do in the way I approach like mixing. And I, I, like I believe in like I, my students can t tell you this. I believe in like if I'm doing a, a session, everything has to be labeled. Everything has to be organized. Yes. Everything has to be mixed properly. You know, it's that kind of thing. And, and I... I, I'm that guy. Um, whereas I've worked with a lot of musicians, and I, that doesn't happen. All, they at just, all. yes, they're everywhere. <laughs> you know, so. But generally, it'll still come out okay. Personalities, exactly. I mean, the, it's, gosh, it's I, just, mean, I know a lot of people, a lot, right. great, great musicians and producers and, and editors and things like that that produce great work and yet they're the most disorganized people in the world but they have their own way of organizing right you know, so they're organized in their head yeah so um but, tell us about the the next song you yeah want to sure play for us um this one actually is a song called front porch 
and I chose it because <laughs> we're on the back porch. <laughs> but uh, this is going to be on the on the next record I do. I've got about 14, 15 songs written for it. Um, uh, some, like a, like a couple of the songs are I've written uh, over the years, and I haven't really recorded them. Uh, or retooled them basically and uh-huh. re-edited them and got them ready and I think they're ready to be recorded now. So this is well, maybe, called Front I was, Porch. I was say, maybe you should come up with one uh, sitting on the back porch singing Front Porch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, like that idea music. actually. Yeah, <laughs> Anything to play on words, you know, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's the idea. You stay away from cliches, you know. <laughs> but, well, let's um, check it out. This song is about... Um, um, basically just like making change in your life like getting off the porch you know and doing something different right you know? so again a lot of my songs have that kind of thing like <laughs> like what can i do differently in my life so yeah. it's it's a rock song actually it's a little bit more you know okay. it still has that kind of edge and it's fast and and lord knows i need more fast songs and slow songs <laughs> in my life so this is called front porch off the front porch landing on the front line a broken heart in your hand in a pocket of a man who gives you time I didn't drink that muddy water I didn't turn my actions round I tried to work things out for a moment but you knocked me on the ground I can't find that kind of love And I don't see that look on anyone I tried to talk things out but left undone The one thing that I need from you Is enough to leave me lonely It's enough the damage done Isn't it funny the world keeps spinning round and around now Flying down the freeway, dancing with the misplaced So I could show her how I fall and what I feel this time She didn't drink that muddy water, she didn't turn her actions round She tried to work things out for a moment, but it left her on the ground And I can't find that kind of love And I don't see that look on anyone I tried to talk things out but left undone The one thing that I need from you It's enough to leave me lonely It's enough the damage is done But isn't it funny the world keeps spinning round and around now It's enough to leave me lonely It's enough the damage done But isn't it funny the world keeps spinning round and around now Around and around now Around and around now It's done 
halfway between Nashville and Memphis lies Exit 82. The Jackson, Tennessee area is a hotbed of extremely talented musical performers. Join WNBJ for the Exit 82 show. You'll see and hear an amazing variety of original music performed by Jackson area talent. Exit 82 airs every Saturday following Saturday Night Live on Jackson's NBC 39. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> There's a like, guitar solo in there. I just left it out, though. I didn't want to... <laughs> you should have put it in, man. That was awesome. Oh, it was. That was a good song. Of course, anytime you talk about a porch, I mean... You Absolutely. Did, you can't go wrong. Well, you're in the South. I mean, you, it's the porch capital I mean, of the world. Sweet tea and back porch, front porch. <laughs> let's, let's go. You know, I think the thing is, is like... Um, somebody asked me, uh, again, a couple of years ago, when I was with a bunch of songwriters... And I, I definitely have a different approach of, of writing songs and, and and performing songs. And I don't consider myself more as a songwriter more as as much as I do a musician first. I'm more of a player or a arranger than say a songwriter. But one of the things I find I find in myself is that I loved when I was you know in my teens and twenties. I loved like British music. I mm-hmm. really did. I loved like music that. I love the Beatles. Yeah. I love. Uh, I loved. Um, you know the Faces. You know Rod Stewart stuff. You know and, and I love New Wave. I love Duran Duran. I love Def Leppard. And mm-hmm. as I progressed, I still loved more and more of that British sound. Mm-hmm. You know that British. There was something about the sound of the Brits regurgitating what we were doing in America. That, that really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the same thing. You know, I liked a lot of that '80s stuff. You know, Duran Duran, Depeche Mode was Depeche brought up Mode earlier. Big, yeah. but, you know, I could sit and listen to that stuff for hours and That's just me. go it into my, my own world. Yeah, no, it, I, it I drops her up the wall, but I love it. But I remember in the '90s. Um, you know, we were coming out of the you know the the '80s rock, and we had the yeah. grunge period, and there was a lot of that kind of everything went to the West Coast, and, and it was exactly. everybody was signed. It seemed like every band had a record deal, and and I, I was I, I had a chance to go study in England for for a semester, so I went I did this study abroad, and I went to Oxford, and I took Shakespeare and church history. Didn't do any music, just did you know like classical literature stuff. I was in England, you know, <laughs> I was like. Why not take Shakespeare? You know, yeah. I was an hour away from Stratford, which is where Shakespeare lived. I could go see the plays in Stratford at the Stratford Theater, the Royal Stratford Theater. You know, it's like I'm going to take Shakespeare. So, but I started dating this Scottish girl, and she was great. I mean, she just turned me on to all these different. I mean, you know, smoking real cigarettes, basically. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Roll your own, you know. Yeah. Um, that was a that was a hidden double entendre, by the way. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, drinking coffee at nine a.m., you know, smoking a big fat stove, you know, and, and and this girl, you know, it was like I was twenty years old, and this girl's like blowing my mind, you know. But she also played me her music, you know, and of course back then CDs were new, you know. Oh yeah. So. You know, we had this the CDs, and we popped CD in after CD. And I brought a stack of CDs with me that, that you know, that I had a dorm room, so I, you know, nothing was in there but a bed and a desk. And <laughs> I had a little portable, you know, CD player that I brought with little speakers. And uh-huh. I sit there, and, and Dave Matthews had just released his first record. I mean, I bought the record at the airport as I was getting on the plane. I mean, and it was brand new, you know. So I had this new Dave Matthews record, and I think I had like, you know. Metallica and you know that kind of thing right but she introduced me to all these Brit bands you know these bands that were huge in Britain and Blur yeah and Oasis 
Yes. Now, they were brand new then, right? Yeah. And so she played me that first Oasis album. It blew me away. Oasis Just totally is amazing. floored me. They're great. And this is before Wonderwall came out. Yeah. This is before, like, the hits. I didn't know who they were. And I think a lot of my songwriting style is a blend of this American sound. This, you know, some, some of my songs sound country and rock, mm-hmm. but also this British kind of thing. And uh, I've always enjoyed uh, that sound. And still today, I mean, Noel Gallagher... He's released, what, two solo albums? Noel Gallagher and the, the Flying Birds, or High Flying Birds is mm-hmm. what it's called. Both his albums, both those records are incredible. Like, two of my favorite records of all time, actually. I mean, they're just phenomenal. Um, and I loved all the Oasis stuff, and I've always been a big Beatles fan, of course. And, yeah. And that style, and you can hear a lot of that in some of the songs. You know, where it's definitely, definitely, if you know, you shift from a major to, to a minor chord right yeah. in the middle of something, you know. Yeah. You know, you know, you go from happy to sad, sad to, yeah. to shifting to a different key. You know, it's it's definitely like Lennon McCartney kind of stuff. I've, I've I've always been a big fan of that. And I, for theory class, music theory, I use a lot of Beatles songs. In fact, almost every semester, I will give them at least two or three Beatles songs to analyze, like analyze this song and tell me what key it's in, and give me the Roman numerals. You know, that kind of thing. You know, tell mm-hmm. me if it's in, you know. You know how it's shifting, how the pivot, you know what the pivot chord is, and how it shifts keys, and you know theoretical stuff that that, right. that will make them better. You know, as far as like analyzing music, you know, if you can analyze, it's like being a mechanic. You know, if you can take apart a car and put it back together and it still work, you're a good mechanic, <laughs> right? So if you can break down a piece With no of music, with no screws left over, exactly. If you can break down a piece of music and tell me exactly right. every piece of it and then put it back together to make it song, to make it singable, you're a pretty darn good musician. Mm-hmm. That's just the approach to it. So. You know, back in the 90s, you were talking about the 90s music. You know, uh, I love the 90s as well as the 80s, but the 90s seemed like they had more one-hit wonders. Absolutely. And record, the thing record is, companies. Big it, record companies. Exactly, but it seems like, you know, the one-hit wonders, the, the hits that they did have... I mean, they were great. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something that a lot of it will stand the test of time, mm-hmm. but that's but that's all you heard out of them. Yeah. You know, now you, you just don't see as many one-hit wonders, I guess, as you did in the 90s. But to me, that's kind of what made the 90s special. It was just, you know, a, a plethora of, of musicians and music out there. And you, uh, you, you know, ask your, you know, ask the older generation, they might say they even the same thing. Like yeah, they, they found more. You know, I heard more one-hit wonders in the fifties than I did. The well, 60s. you know, in a way, that's true. That's I right. mean, there, there it, was, it was. You 50s. know, it, it was a lot of you know a lot of musicians out there that you know just had just right. had wonderful songs, and and that was all you ever heard. Yeah, yeah. Hey, 50, I'll, I'll 50, take one 60s, hit. Yeah, you know what? For sure, I'll take one hit. I would too. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> <in a heartbeat. laughs> yeah. You know, I Keep haven't, I haven't had that one hit yet. I'm waiting for that one hit. No, I mean. A lot of musicians think that, it, it, well, I don't want to say it this way, but I, I, I almost have to say it this way. Some musicians feel like they're entitled to it. Yeah. And you got to work hard for it. And you got to stay, you got to work hard mm-hmm. and stay on top. Mm-hmm. And there are great musicians that have worked hard for that one hit, and I give them all the credit in the world for yeah. that one hit, you know? Because so, they've um, accomplished something that. You know, very many haven't. You know, yeah. shelf life of a musician. How you know what is that? You know, what same right. thing with an athlete. You know, you have exactly. an athlete that you know, baseball player plays four years in the majors and wins a World Series, and where somebody else that plays twenty years and never wins a World right. Series. It's a very unforgiving business. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the the 
the the issue with music. I teach. I had a buddy of mine call me. This is again everything's a story or an example. I had a buddy of mine who's not a musician that called me the other night. He said, "Hey man, I hadn't talked to you well." And we talked for a good hour, probably on the phone, just you know, oh, talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. And he was like, he said something like, "He goes, what are you doing now?" I was like, "Well, I'm I'm excited because I'm I get to go to." Going in two weeks, I'm going to Indiana to study with Kenny Aronoff, who's the drummer for John Cougar Mellencamp, and cool. And uh, he's played with everybody, you know. Um, uh, studio drummer, and I'm going to do a master class with him. And there's 12 of us who have been accepted to this little program that they're having, and I get to work on a Neve board and produce. And he's going to be there and for two days. We're going to spend two days with him, and then I'm going to have a. a a two-hour drum lesson after that with him. So I'm going to work with him. Cool. Um, and I was like, man, I'm super excited. He goes, <laughs> he goes, he said something like, he's not a musician. He's a medical sales rep. So he's no clue about music. He just thinks everybody <laughs> just, you either get famous or you're not famous, you know? Yeah. I was like, he said something like, he goes, why don't you ever get off your ass and, get a, and, and be famous, man? You know? And I was like, it's not about being famous. It's about making a living. Right. And right. that's more important to me than just being famous. Um, there are many, many, many great musicians that are famous and don't make a dime. That's right. And there's many people who aren't famous and that are really, really great. I have great careers. Yeah. I want a career in music. I don't want to be famous. Yeah. There's no fame here. If, 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 it, if it happened or came about, that would just kind of be a little... Extra bonus on the Actually, side. Actually, and know? I told my uh, told my wife this, Allison, multiple times. I was like, I don't kind of, I, I don't want that pressure of being famous. Right. I don't want to be known. I don't want to walk into a store and somebody stop me every five minutes, you know, asking me this. Hey, can I get your picture? That or you know, so I, I kind of don't want that. I never kind of wanted. That hey, I want you to listen to this and cut this for me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. So I think the, the the biggest thing is I like where I'm at. I chose this path and and have stuck to it and and. Gosh knows I've made mistakes and been you know and I'm flawed just like everybody else when it comes to like yeah. you know career moves and <laughs> personal moves and everything else. But the one thing I have learned in my life is that it's all about making a living. Yeah. So I tell my students as freshmen, even as seniors in high school who want to do this, don't expect to be famous. Yeah. Work hard and make it a career. Yeah. First, because then you might be famous. Or you might just have a great career, mm -hmm. you know. It's all about that safety. You know, you, you know, the older we get, I mean, you know, we, <laughs> we we tend to think about these things. I mean, when we were young, everything was spontaneous. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 going for this, and and this is the way it's going to be. And as we get older, it's like, man, you know, I I think I just really want to be comfortable with things, and and you know, uh you know, just live comfortable, and uh, it's not all about that right. fast lifestyle. It, oh, no. It's not for me as I no. get older. Well, no. you, you, I'll take, a buddy of mine told me that uh, one time he was on the road with somebody, and, and they were opening up for uh, Buck Cherry. Remember that band, Buck Cherry? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're yeah. still out touring, I guess. And they have this, you know, they have this kind of rock and roll lifestyle. They're all, you know, they have a look, they have, you know, tattoos and <laughs> spiky hair and green hair or whatever and you know they're, they're a great band though and they, they yeah. sound great I actually saw them live once uh, myself but they were out on the road with, with Buck Cherry and, and I was like man that must be crazy I mean you must got guys must have partied all the time he's like no not at all he's like we were 
we're backstage playing PlayStation, eating Subway sandwiches most of the time, you know, just, and, you know, once we get done playing, we're on the bus to sleep, you know, it's just, yeah. that's the way it was. And he'd say, if you take that approach, you know, if you take the Motley Crue approach to it all, then you'll burn out quick. Yeah. You know, it takes a very special group of people to be able to pull that Motley Crue, Def Leppard, you know, the, the classic stories of them. Well, I think the Ozzy set the bar pretty high as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. And in fact, there's the classic story, Nikki Six, I think it's in uh, the, the book, The Dirt by Motley Crue, I, I remember correctly, or Nikki Six and, and Ozzy are backstage before a concert and, uh, they were daring each other to do different things, and and mm. what what Ozzy won the dare contest between the two when he snorted a, 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 a like he did a, a, he snorted a line of like fire ants or something like that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 saw, I saw that on VH1 Classic. They were I was you know, like, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's not be where I saw it actually. But then, yeah. but, then, but then you have to wonder, you know. How smart are these folks, really, you know, <laughs> that'll do something like this? But well, I mean, again, I think music, you have to have a balance nowadays. Yeah. I mean, you can't be that way. You there's so much be. pressure, too, that, yeah. you know, you, you get to that side, you know, you, there's so much stress, pressure, and, I mean, it, it drives a lot of these people over the edge. You know, they will do anything just to take a tenth of that stress or pressure off of them, mm-hmm. you know. I think well, now, that, I think that drives a lot of people nuts. We live in you know in the last you know twelve year thirteen years now. We live in that 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 mindset that you have to be on a TV show to yeah. make it big. Yeah. You know that kind of thing. Right. And that's not true. I mean, great careers are built off great art. Bad yeah. art fades away. Yeah. Bad art disappears fast. And good <laughs> art sticks. So you got to create good stuff. So create good music. Create be be true. Um, have stamina, you know. You got to remember the Beatles were declined like seven times before they got a record deal. Mm-hmm. You know, if they had quit after the third time, we wouldn't have had the Beatles. Right. They had stamina. They stuck in the game. They kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. And there's been other artists that you know they can get in here and tell you countless stories of you know I did this, I did this. I mean, think about Katy Perry. Have you guys seen that documentary part uh, pieces of me or whatever it is? Katy Perry documentary. I think I watched about half of it. I it think. is actually incredible about talking about the music business. Here's Katy Perry signed by one record label, and she is, she's, um, being groomed to be the next Alanis Morissette. Yeah, yeah. And of course, that's not her. Right. And of course, she kind of flops. You know, it's not her. It's not her music. So instead of releasing her, they decide to keep her on the record, in the record contract. But not release anything else. So she's so supposedly, you know, she has like she's supposed to release three albums. Well, they release one or whatever, and they decide to shelve her and not let her do the other two albums. But she can't get out of the record deal because she's got to do three more, two more albums, right? So they keep her, and they keep her because they don't want her to be released to go out to another record like company and have a record deal. Mm-hmm. Right. It took somebody in that record. I don't want to say what record label it is. Somebody in that record label. To say, like, wait a minute, they're stifling her. They're keeping her here. She's great. Mm-hmm. we got to get her away. It took one person in that company to go to another company and say, buy her out, which they did. And that other record company said, we want Katy Perry to be Katy Perry, not Alanis Morissette. You go do your thing. And there you Instant. go. Yeah. Be you. That's what they told her. You know, don't be you think you. a lot of times record labels will sign somebody... 
and try to deliberately keep them on the back burner to help all, promote somebody else all the time all the time there's one band here in jackson that went through the yeah. same thing and I, i'm not going to bring it up but it's very it's very you know rare that a uh in, in this day's time that a record company will let you be yourself right you know they try to mold they're going to pay you to keep you quiet and off the radio i i i i know for a fact um that i have multiple friends who have had that happen mm -hmm. to them i actually have a friend right now who just got signed to a new deal and uh, i don't want to say who it is but mm -hmm. um they are grooming this person to be the next Luke Bryan right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are totally going through the steps. I mean, everything I see online, it's like, no, no. Oh, don't do this. Don't do this. You know, be who you are. You know, that might work out. You know, it might be a great career move. I don't know. I'm not going to say yeah. what's bad now. Yeah. But I can see they're already kind of going down that road. Everything yeah. from the... The lyrical Style. content, the way they look, everything. You know, it's just like, oh. So, but, you know, the album comes out in two weeks, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. So. It's a coin toss. It is. I, well, I just I just really believe in, you know, being. Being yourself. Being yourself and being being an individual. And we are, we are, yeah. we have the capabilities nowadays. If you have great art and you're. A good business mind too. You can do your own thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's. There are several musicians right now out there that are young. They're getting their demand is so high. They've gone independent. They you start their own YouTube channel. They do their own Spotify. They do their own iTunes. They do their own records. They put it out there and then they create a demand. And you see record companies and Contacting managers them. just giving them the moon. Yeah. And they're saying, no, I'm making more money doing it myself. Doing it my way. Yeah. Well, I, 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 think, I think one person that actually set that bar and got away from the mainstream labels and, you know, stayed independent as long as good was Jewel. She set the bar. Yeah, back in the 90s. Huh? Yeah. yeah. It was. It was and you're talking about, especially during that time, record companies were making a ton of money. Back then. Yes, they were. It wasn't like once, once Napster and iTunes basically took over, yeah. that's when they started to lose money. Right. You're talking about during a time period where they were still selling albums, you know, everybody was buying CDs. That's where you go to a record store, you go to a used CD shop and it's all full of 90s CDs. Like, I, I like walked in and there was like 18 copies of Bare Naked Ladies. You, yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, you got, you got Matchbox 20 CDs, you know, galore, you know, so. Um, well, go ahead and tell us uh, about the next song you want to play for us. Um, I actually was on the fence about this one because I just wrote it. Uh, the lyrics have been around for a while, but I, I just now finished the music content, the music. so um, I'm still kind of working it out, but I thought I would do it for you guys. Yeah, what, what better way to, to try it out? Yeah, this is kind of trial by fire, so if I mess it up, then, <laughs> then, then just it won't slap be, me on the wrist. It won't you know? be a problem so, at all. Um, I don't really have you know all the parts worked out totally. I'm still kind of processing it but it's one of the 15 that i've just kind of finished and mm -hmm. and we'll be on on the record that i'm going to record here pretty soon so uh what's it called uh, it's called losing touch okay so uh again it has kind of this um kind of uh, brit rock yeah kind of feel so all right uh, let's check it out okay
letters for the rest of the year I guess I'm losing my touch Makes me wonder what is happening here It seems I've run short on luck Picked up the phone and heard to my surprise How the excuses erupt no need to argue, hope you realize We've always picked right up And all of these words don't mean that much When the meanings don't add up There's not enough There's not enough There's not enough I'm losing touch Yeah, yeah You lay down on the bed right next to me Not even a foot away but a thousand miles run between our sheets And I don't know what to say All of these words don't mean that much When the meanings don't add up There's not enough no, there's not enough There's not enough, we're losing touch Yeah, yeah, yeah All right, I like it Nice. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I like I it. I think you've done sound. good. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, the thing is, like, it's going to have a little guitar solo, solo in it and yeah. maybe a little bridge area, but it's, it's, every, all the songs are, are always a work in progress. For oh, me. of course. And yeah. You did that as two guitar solos. <laughs> <laughs> well, you come to one of my live shows, you're going to get a bunch of them. So. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of live shows, Jeremy, uh, you, your band is called Shifty Nixon. Yeah, I actually have three groups. Uh, oh, okay. The local group that I have is, is Shifty Nixon. The one I tour professionally with for, for now 15 years uh, is the Doug Pierce Band. And and, and uh, we do a lot of a lot of work. We, mostly just now that we're older and we all have jobs. And, right. And working all over the nation. Um, they're all in different areas. Uh, we don't only do like big venues. We do a lot of USO, NWR. Wounded Warrior Project stuff. Yeah. Still. Cool. Uh, but yes, the local band is called Shifty Nixon. That's okay, correct. and I know that consists of, of Josh Smith yeah, and Josh uh, Smith and Matt Barnacastle. Matt Barnacastle, who is uh, who again, uh, who has been tremendous with jams. I kind of he has. He's doing a great job. We, uh, when Josh and I got together, it was a lunch, you know, one day, and I was like, "Hey, let's start like let's let's get let's let's start organizing music around West Tennessee and." We came up with with that uh, concept of, of the Jackson Area Music Society and starting it, and then I, I didn't, just didn't have time to kind of just keep on on 
updating every day or whatever. Right. So right. I, I called Matt. I said, Matt, man, you know, Matt, man. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that sounds Matt, like man. a cool T-shirt. I know. It's like, yeah. I got it. I, we just we just started an idea, didn't we? We did. <laughs> you were talking about getting some Jams T-shirts and stuff. Yeah, you know, maybe right. maybe have the Jams logo on the back and on the front, Matt Man. Matt Man, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but Matt does a amazing job at just social media stuff, and so he I does. said, hey, will you do this every day? You know, just every day, just post and 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 keep everybody updated. You know, and 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 he does. So, but that that came about. So Matt Bartercastle plays drums for us. Um, and then Luke Woodruff was our bass player, but he just moved to Colorado. He did. And um, uh, he was probably one of my best friends in, 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 in the world. And we just had so much things in common. Just a great musician. And he was yeah. also big in the technology, too, which mm-hmm. is a big plus because we could talk, you know. You know he helped out a lot with Exit 82 also, didn't actually, he? Absolutely, yeah. And actually, he's he was a tremendous force there because um, – I could I could be doing one thing and I could trust that he could he was doing the that other. he could do the other yeah and yeah. he was a great neighbor that I didn't know for two years yeah that's so, right <laughs> uh, you know I introduced myself uh, to him when he first moved in and then I was I was checking out these shows and the Exit eighty two recordings and stuff and I was like man, I know that guy yeah. and and you know this went on for I don't know six months or so and then I was like all right you dummy he lives right across from me. yeah and, you know. well I mean. I will say that Jackson lost. I think one of, one of the one of the best musicians that I've ever worked with. To be honest with you, I mean, he's amazing. But short, uh, long story short, he moved to Colorado, and my the guy I toured professionally, Doug Pierce, yeah, moved from Orlando. He was in Orlando. Mm-hmm. He just moved to Colorado. They moved in the same suburb together. That's awesome. And. They're going to be playing at the same church. So what's the chances of that? It's unbelievable. <laughs> so guess what's going to happen? I figured Luke's going to be the bass player that's going to go on the road with us sometimes. <laughs> uh-huh. well, that'd I, be nice. That'd it'd be, be awesome. amazing. I mean, so the thing is, like, in, in, in uh, I can't talk, I can't speak highly enough of the character of Luke Woodruff. Mm-hmm. Just him as a person. Yeah. He's a black and white guy. Mm-hmm. He'll tell you like it is. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He doesn't, you know beat you around the bush, you'll just say, you know what, I'm not going to be there, or I'll be there and I'll work as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. You know? So, but uh, filling in for Luke, we've had a couple bass players that fill in for Luke in the band, and 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 we've kind of settled on, uh, uh, I shouldn't say settled on, that, was, that sounded horrible, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I guess we'll just have <sighs> to take this guy. Yeah. No, we, 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 we uh, Col- Colton sat in last night with us, but uh, our, the guy that's been playing with us regularly is Joey Carroll, who is okay. the assistant manager at Rafferty's. Okay. And he's a great bass player and a great guy, and he's very committed. He works hard. I mean, he, yeah. he's a guy, I mean, last night he helped me load the load my car. No, Nobody ever does that, you know? So, you know, I'm usually like... <laughs> well, you know. for, for anybody that's listening that wants to hear Shifty Nixon, I know you play at the Tavern, Downtown Tavern in Jackson quite often. Where else... Would they be able to hear you at possibly? We do a lot of actually now. We, we lately we've been doing a lot of private stuff, or weddings and stuff uh-huh. like that. We we've kind of got a name that that we play a lot of party music. You know, we yeah. do, you know we do a lot of covers and yeah. It, there are a few videos on YouTube. Yeah, there's YouTube videos and and, and we, you know we, we're just a fun band and, and the band kind of started out just being like let's just, just have kind some of a get together. Fun. Right. What, yeah. what, what are right. the chances of uh, you guys maybe getting together and recording some stuff? Um, right now there's no. There's no plans to do that. We're you know we, we know what it is. We know that it's it's simply just kind of a some fun, guys just hanging playing, out having fun playing music that we love. You yeah, know? 
But the concept is this. Josh and I got together, and of course, Josh has his thing, and I have my thing, and we decided, mm-hmm. like, hey, let's let's kind of pick some of our favorite songs, and you sing one, I sing one. Yeah. And we bounce back and forth. It works out great because the gigs go by a lot quicker. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll sing a song, and then I, I get to sit back and just jam, and then he sings the song. And, and you know, I'm the lead guitar player, and, and so, I you know, I get to play solos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, yeah, I got to listen to you at uh, or listen to Shifty Nixon out at the Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, you right. Know, out there right. At Cody Blues. Right. And, there are some phenomenal. Songs. And it, it was great. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, favorite, they were great. My favorite cover that they do is Breakdown. That's like my favorite. Yeah, the Tom Petty song. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. It, you know, it, it really is. It's it's like a lot. Of, I mean, last night we had an older crowd. We played the Tavern last night. We had a you know it was an older crowd. Um, um, Travis Cottrell played the Amp last night downtown. Mm-hmm. And Travis is the worship leader in Inglewood. And I like Travis a lot, too, by the way. If you don't know Travis Cottrell, he is, he is world famous as a worship leader. Um, you know, he's out with Beth Moore, if you're familiar with Beth Moore. He, he, he's her worship leader when she goes on tour as a speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but I lo- love Travis. And Travis had a concert downtown. And then after the concert, a lot of people came to the, to the tavern, mm-hmm. um, the Baptists who do drink. Um, came down town. <laughs> okay, so, um, but anyway, <laughs> I might get in trouble for that one. Huh? Nah. Nah. I'm a Methodist, so. <laughs> yeah, me too. We don't there hide it. Yeah, we, <laughs> we worked ourselves out of that We just don't hide it, do we? Um, anyway, so the point, the point is, is that there was a pretty good crowd at the tavern. It was a beautiful night. It was, you know, the weather good cooled night. off a little bit. It was a blue moon. It was great. It was a great evening. And um, we were all outside, and and it, because it was an older crowd, people just were loose. They, they it wasn't you know, it, you know we, we 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 did our songs you know that that are classic you know just from you know go your own way yeah. to you know to you know Johnny Cash to um, you know hit me with your best shot and all that stuff that people just loved and danced to and. No. And it's actually fun to jam to. I mean, you can just get up there and just let loose. Just have a yeah. good time. You know. And, and, you know, in those certain nights where the guitar feels good, you mm-hmm. know, my hands, and last night it felt good. You know, it's just one of those, you know, it's like, it's like when you're swinging a hot bat, you know. <laughs> everything goes back to baseball, by the way. Uh, everything. <laughs> well, do, do you ever let your wife sit in and sing any with you all? Or? You know, here's the deal. And people ask me this a lot, actually. Uh-huh. Cause she's phenomenal. She is. She, um, she is. She's one of the best singers I've ever have ever been been on stage with. I think she's amazing. Uh, she just doesn't have the passion uh-huh. that the drive that that say a lot of people have. She appreciates it, but she's not a on stage person all the time. Mm-hmm. When she's on stage, she's not nervous. She takes the stage and she does it. In fact, the first time I saw her, when when I first saw her, I was. Uh, I was 20 years old, and she was in Sister Act, mm-hmm. and she played the nun or the choir member that takes off the robe and does the you know the solo, yeah. mm-hmm. you know that breaks it out and becomes you know. Right. She's the one who walks off the stage and she does that. She takes a robe off and drops it and just starts waylaying, you know, this <laughs> vocal solo. And I sat there and I was like in the third row and I just went jaw is hanging like here's this little five foot two white girl who sounds like Aretha Franklin and just wearing it out and I'm just like 
you know, this is before Brittany and Christina and all those yeah, people who yeah. came out. You know, this is before that, you know. So I'm just floored. I'm like, this girl is white, but she sounds black. You know, just blown away. Mm-hmm. And it took me six months to get the courage to ask her out. And I wasn't shy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It was just like she was way out of my league. <laughs> way out of my league. And she, But she's not like that. She's real down to earth. She's... She's very fundamental. Again, she's very black and white when it comes to things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she could have done so much more. She was in Miss Tennessee. A lot of people don't realize this. She was in Miss Tennessee in 1997. And um, she was third runner-up that year. You know, and they begged her to do it. Not so they, they begged her. They, they asked her if she wanted to do it the next year because of wink-wink, she might win, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and But she decided to marry me instead, which was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. She has one of these smoothest, kindest sounding voices. She does. I, I heard. And, and I've got one song that I air of hers there on the station. And it, right. So it's great. And she wrote that song, too. I mean, that's the thing. People, she writes tremendously well. She writes better than me, I think. You know? Her song, in fact, she has written six new songs in the last three years or so. You know? And I can't wait to record them. I mean, they could be hits. All six of them, mm-hmm. you know. You know, I, the, the first time I went over to Hub City, you know, I, it's one of the first things I told Kevin. I said, do you have any more Alice and Tub songs? Mm-hmm. You play that one song, and I love it, but that's the only song I hear. You know, and his response was, well, this is really the only song she wanted played. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like. Well, I've actually got two. But have you got two the now? The second one is a seasonal song. Okay. okay. It's, it's a Christmas song. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's great. The whole album's great, but uh, but yeah, that's what. And that's I said, what you know, with maybe, with a voice like that, you should be playing everything she can possibly put out. Well, the thing is, is she's very, uh, she's very, I get humble. She's very yeah. like closed. And I, I had a, a another professor say, like, man, why don't you ever post pics of your wife on Facebook? And I was like, <laughs> well, if she wants me to, I will. But most times, she tells me. No, you know, yeah, she doesn't yeah. want. She's just not that person. Yeah. She's not. She's not public like that. Yeah, and um, you know, she's happy about that. She, uh, in yeah. fact, the other night we had this conversation. It was two nights ago, actually. We had the conversation where um, uh, somebody said, like, you know, uh, this is about ten years ago. Somebody said that, you know, they knew Allison very well and they knew, knew her personality and they knew, you know, who she was. And this person was a VP at FedEx, and you know, making millions mm-hmm. a year. And uh, she said, you know, if, if, and she was going into retirement, but she said, if I'd have known Allison, say, five years ago, I would have hired her and groomed her to be my replacement. That's how much of a le- like leadership yeah. quality she has, yeah. you know. And this woman had gotten, she was a woman at a VP at FedEx, and she got to know Allison very, very well over several years. So she has these qualities that are very unique and just very, I mean, it's all about leadership. And she did a personality, you know, I told you I love the personality yes. test. So I, we do personality tests and I do different ones. And we did this one the other night actually called, what's it called? 16 personalities or something like that.com. And you can do it online. <laughs> you can take it. It's free. Uh, <laughs> That's a so good thing. So we did it and we get kind of the same results every time because we answer the questions the same way. But her 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 result was, was even more fascinating this time because I really paid attention uh, even more to it, I guess. But it's like she, her personality is like 0.02% of the population. Wow. And 
they they give you like people that she's like. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, Joe Tory. You know. Wow. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, just really kind of silent black and white leaders can take things to another level. You know. Yeah. Can be just people. She ever considered for running for president? That's maybe what we need. <laughs> you she, know, she'd be amazing. You know, we I mean, we need something cut and dry, but that's a whole different argument. That's a different. So, you got that right. right. You know, so I can brag on her all day long. You know, it's just like she is. She is amazing. She's a great mother. That's the thing that's amazing to me. Our kids are so good because it's her. You know, if they were, if I were raising them, they'd be hellions. <laughs> they didn't look too happy about those papers the other day. Though. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I usually am the one who makes them do work, and she's the one who you know, yeah, lets them be them. Uh, maybe I should just let her do it all. So, um, but she'd be the first one to tell you she you know she doesn't like laundry and she doesn't like doing dishes, you know. So she's not that person, but she rather, you know, she's up the other night writing a a, a, a strategic goal for she's a speech pathologist. Okay. For for the school system speech pathologist. She's writing a strategic goal for the year, and I'm like, you know, and she's an early to bed, early to rise kind of person, and I'm the exact opposite, but she's up yes. till 1 a.m. writing the strategic goal. I was like, you're going to be tired in the morning. She's like, I know, but I have to get it done because I have to get it out to them, and they we need to go over it tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> run away, run away. But, yeah, exactly. so, um, you know, when it comes to the music part, that's just fun for her. That's not that's not a career, you know. It's just fun, you know, and she just enjoys it. Um, I told her she'd have a great career writing jingles. I mean, that's yeah. that's what yeah. she does the best. That song that you play is a throwback song, you know. It really is kind of this Judy Garland, you know. You can almost hear the, hear the Tin yeah. Pan Alley aspect of it. Yes, you know? even kind of the a, way kind of a big band sound yeah. a little bit, you know. Right, she wrote it, it is, that but way. It's, it's great. You know, it's, it's I orchestrated great. the chords. That's all I did. I just, I just kind of put the chords to it. But she wrote this tune and the song, and I just kind of played along with it. You know, so <laughs> most of her songs are like that. You know, it's just they're they're great. She plays piano and flute. You know, and um, um, is, is she's you know she's a wonderful musician I mean, all around. But she doesn't want you know to do it as a career. You know? Well, Jeremy, it's it's been real good having you on the show today. We've had a lot of Great conversations and some history, some education, and we, we've had everything in the show. It's, it's, I think it's going to be a great episode. Yeah. But uh, we're going to close out with one of your recorded songs. Yeah, if you could yeah. tell us a little bit about that. And, yeah. you know, we appreciate you coming on the back porch. We're going to, I'm sure we're going to have you on again soon. And we're going to go ahead and thank you in advance for for educating us on the new <laughs> software a little bit maybe and, and showing us some tricks of the trade and I things like that. props but, uh, for what you do for Jackson, the music around Jackson. Uh, you know, your tremendous help with, uh, you know, Exit 82 and, you know, getting the sound out. And I personally want to thank you for that. I mean, that's something exactly, that you know, Jay yeah. and I work on as well. And something on everybody that's listening to check out is the Jams Facebook page. I think Jams is, is really something good for Jackson. It's going to help. Like he said earlier, organize the, the music in the area, the, the musicians. It's going to help them. Yeah. It's going to help the, the venues get, you know, real talent, I think. You know, it's not going to be somebody that, that comes in your venue and just trashes the place. You know, I think it's going to be more... You know, it's, it's just going to bring more clout with it, I guess, is yeah. a good way to say it. You know, it's, you, it, if Jam sends somebody out, it's going to be, you know, you're going to know what you're getting. Yeah. Kind of thing. 
Yeah, you that's, know, that's the point, actually. No, you know, kind of no surprises. You know, this guy's going to show up and just tear the place up or be very unprofessional on stage or, you know, you're – it's, I think it's just going to be a good thing all the way around for everybody. I, I I can't imagine a world without jams now because it's so it, you know we're all organized together. We know what's mm -hmm. going on. We get the updates. Um, you know we 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 hear about the gigs. Right. Uh, we are able to communicate. I know more musicians through jams now than I didn't than I knew a year ago. Yeah. A year and a half right. Ago. Right. And then working with Exit 82 and the TV show. And that's, that's you know, the first season was amazing. We, it was. We're starting to work on the second season already. Yeah. So we're looking forward to the second season of that. And, uh, uh, again, meeting and greeting. I, I, I mean, I, I'm still learning. I'm still, you know, I, I, I'm never not a student. Right. It, you know, so. Uh, right. You know, and that's, I, I, I try to learn everything I can possibly absolutely. learn. Cause I know very little. <laughs> Very little, well, you I'm know, really but, but, information. <laughs> but the more we're, I can learn, the we're you know. awful at that. You know, random facts about nothing that uh, uh, amounts to a you know? yeah. So, go ahead and tell us about the, the last song that we're going to play, and yeah, and, sure. And we're uh, going to close out. And this song is called Nothing. Uh, I wrote this, um, actually, you know. Uh, it was a sad story. I was going through some, tur you know, some hard times, and I was dealing with something that really broke my heart, you know. And um, uh, my my life was kind of at Lambeth actually was shutting down, and I just got mm -hmm. hired by Lambeth, and Lambeth was shutting down, and it was a lot of uncertainty, and I really went to a dark place, and I wrote this song uh, about, you know, a, a failing relationship, but it was more a relationship. Personally, you know, mm -hmm. just overall, like my mm -hmm. whole life was failing. It seemed like so. The song's called "Nothing." It's very, very personal, actually. So, okay. Uh, but basically, it's talking about you know, you gotta surround people, surround your life uh, with people who love you and you love them, and, and you, 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 um, you are nothing without them. You know, you've got to realize that you know that you know your relationships are, are very important. You know, and keeping those so. It's called Nothing. It's beautiful. I like it. It's one of my favorite songs I've ever written. Well, all right. Well, we're going to close that with this song. And once again, we appreciate you coming on the show. And, Thank you, Dr. Uh, Tubbs. Thank you. Like I said, you, you can listen to this show online. We're on uh, Hub City Radio. We are now on iTunes. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Subscribe to us. Uh, that was about a six-month work in progress for some reason, but we finally got on there. Uh, you can also listen to us on TuneIn Radio and on Stitcher Radio. Uh, of course, our website is tennesseebackporch.podbean.com. Um, if you would like to help you know, the show in any way, we have a donation link set up. If you want to make a donation to help keep the equipment updated and, you know, and so on, the, the money's not used to just pad somebody's pocket. We put it back into the show. So, uh, you know, anything anybody wants to do to help us out, we, you know, we, we accept any kind of help, of course. But... Anyways, just check us out online, share us with all your friends, and uh, forget to say we want to say hi to California again. They're the our number two state right now with, Party on, with the most listeners, so <laughs> anybody from California want to get in touch with us, get us on Facebook or you know send us a message via the, the Podbean app, things like that. So anyways, we appreciate everybody listening, and uh, here's Jeremy Tubbs with nothing. Can't feel my heart 
in my chest This is where it ends Beaten down and put to rest And all I have is nothing without you My heart breaks deep inside my chest. I know I gotta leave now. I know it's for the best. is true dear I can't do this anymore I've dealt with all the pain here and settled for the door and all I have is nothing without you 